Great, my name's Pete. I'm going to be doing the fourth and final one. We've been working through this book together. Uh, it's Bill Hybel's book, and it's called Just Walk Across the Room. This is our fourth week. We've also been talking about it in our small group, and as well as that, we've been reading it individually. So if you are up to, up to date with your homework, anyone admit that they've read all the chapters they're supposed to have done? Oh dear, hands going up, reducing as the morning goes on. Right, I shall pass quickly over that one. I'll just give you a quick recap. Basically, on week one, we talked all about the fact that the greatest gift we have is that Jesus Christ died for us so that we can know God personally, have a relationship with him. And so we would say, this is a gift that we've got to give. Then we talked in week two about living life in 3D. And actually, what we want to do is be a people that develop friendship, discover stories, and discern appropriate steps for our friends. Last week, we looked at the whole power of the story, and actually, each one of us that knows Jesus Christ has got a story. But this week, the fourth and final one, we are looking at grander vision living. I don't know about you, I would like my life to be mysterious, vibrant, stimulating, unpredictable, and passionate. Just imagine now, I know it seems a long time ago, just imagine you're going on holiday, you go on holiday, for a lot of us, definitely me, I'd much rather go to the seaside. And so if you suddenly think about the, the beach, you might have a picture like this. And maybe if you were really honest, you think, I would really like life to be like this. I'm just laying back at the beach reading the paper. I just want life calm. Pete, I'm at church really because I want life to be calm this morning. Oh, golly. It's so busy, so stressful. London's such a busy place to live. I'd like to be calm. I think, God, what do you look at the whole time? You could make a choice. I think you can either have a life like that or you can have a life like this. And I think what I want to challenge people this morning is are you prepared to go deeper and look at a different vision? Are you prepared to dive under the water and think, what's really going on? You see, the person at the top was reading the paper, but actually if you go under, you see the color, you see the, the flowers and the plants and the fauna and the creation. I've actually just dropped this one in, scuba dived out on the Great Barrier Reef. And you see all the pictures there, and you just see the images, and you just think, wow, turtles going by. It's phenomenal. I would like to think this morning that what we're trying to say is, are you going to be one that goes deeper? Life below the surface. We're going to look at a passage from the Bible. We're going to look at it from Luke 5. The slides will come up here. And it's from a translation called The Message. So I'm just going to read it to you. Once when he, he being Jesus, was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he'd finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner, it was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets 
past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. They filled their boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, there is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up onto the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. Some of you might have heard this story before. Some of it might be a completely new story from the Bible. I mean, I just try and imagine the excitement, the elation of how Peter, James, and John must have felt. Their nets were bursting. I mean, the boats were sinking. I mean, this is big payday. This would have been phenomenal for them. I wonder what's been your best ever day at work. I used to know a stockbroker. Uh, a friend of mine, and he said if they made £10,000 a day at work, they'd have a bottle of champagne. And at the end of the day, he made 10000 bottle of champagne. And he said, in the end, he said, we were having a bottle of champagne every day. Great days. You know, he's like made loads of money. What's your best day? You see, I think what Jesus is saying, guys, imagine the best life can get. Now I want to take your vision even deeper. Imagine what would be the most productive, best day that you possibly could. I want to make it even more interesting. You know, these are fishermen. Jesus was saying to them, look, forget the six inches. I want you to dream about the six footers. This is no longer just about little fish. I want you to dream about catching men and women. For me, this was his vision. He was saying, I don't want you just to live life reading a paper. I want you to go deep and discover something of beauty and interest. Don't you find it a, a, an interesting way that Jesus would call people? I mean, this is like the Son of God walking on earth, a, a, a miracle like that. But he wanted to say to them, I want you to see something better. I think he's throwing out a challenge to us. Whether you're a fisherman, a businessman, a businesswoman, a bus driver... The president, I don't think the president's here today. But whatever your role is, housewife, shop worker, parent, are you going to throw your one and only life into pursuing small fish? Or will you risk tossing your nets out there in anticipation of catching human-sized fish? And I think this is the challenge that we're looking at, which is this final chapter of the book here. So my observation number one is this. The priority with Jesus is always people. Jesus desperately wanted these three career fishermen and say, come on, I want you to understand my priority is people. In this whole um, series that we've looked at, this is our fourth week, as we've said, it's been about leaving our own comfort because we care so much about other people. Not staying where I'm comfortable, but actually connecting with others. He's saying to them, you could catch fish or you could become fishers of men. You could be a successful business person 
or you could get into the business of redeeming lives. You could be the top student, or you could understand studying people. You could shine as a superstar salesperson, or you can care more about letting your light shine to those around you. I think that is something that Jesus is trying to pull out to these folk here. It says in Matthew 5, 16, and this is a paraphrase, let your light shine before others in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light, this is what he's saying, this is what he's saying to us as a church. Some of you, it's your first time with us. We've been going as a church since January. You know, and actually, we don't ever want to feel like we're just huddling away inside a building on a Sunday morning. That's why we want to get involved in food bank and serving the community. Because actually, we want to be out there and let our light shine. We want to make a difference. My son goes camping. And he doesn't actually know. I borrowed his torch. Now, you probably can't even see it from there. Because the batteries have died. <sighs> there we go. So we've got this set up. If you go camping, you want a torch like this, which is going to work, which is going to be brilliant. And many of us, if we're really honest as Christians, we try and make sure we're turned on to God. As Christians, we suddenly think, I would like to read my Bible. I can't quite sing like Margaret, however hard I try. But actually, I want to raise my voice to God. We want to shine our light. can be the way of it. But if we're really honest, many of us have switched our light on, but we've just hidden it. The light is still switched on. The batteries are still working. We're still trying to do the best that we possibly can. And I think this whole series has been almost a case of, come on, I want you to pull your light out so that people can see your light. I don't want it to feel like it's just suddenly hidden away. And I think if, if we're really honest, our, our danger is that we can be Christians and we've almost like we try to be switched on to God. Even say, oh, we give our money or we want to be full of the Holy Spirit, but actually we've just been hidden away. This series is saying, oh, come on, let's try and be those that are visible, those that are seen, those that care about others. You see, this whole campaign is one way of seeing God's kingdom come on earth. But it's also a way of impacting us as Christians. We grow when we're serving our king. And I think this is part of what we're being called to do. You don't have to be more talented, any richer, any slimmer, any smarter. You don't have to do anything else. You've got to be available to God. I say, God, would you use me? I guess I want to throw out that challenge again. How would you want to live your life? Do you want to be one that's reading the paper or one that's snorkeling in the depths? Observation number two. The focus with Jesus is always on potential. Funny, we can think of that as a negative word, really, can't we? I know when I was at school, they'd often say he's got potential, which was, you know, teacher language for he's not trying hard enough. Actually, if he worked a bit harder, who knows where he could go? But actually, I think Jesus here is saying, I, no, no, it's not a negative thing. I can see there's real potential in these disciples. If you think about it, you know, the disciples, you know, in fact, Jesus even said, cast your nets. And they said, you don't understand. We're the fishermen. You're the talker. You know, we've probably been fishing all night. And you've been, what, counting sheep? Creating sheep, maybe. I don't know. He was God. You know what I'm saying? But it's almost like, no, no, we know what to do. 
But actually, Jesus looks at them and says, no, no, I've got a huge potential for you guys. And I think that could be true for us as well. I love the word that came this morning. God, you learn stuff about people, don't you? Don't park your car near Mark and Abbey is what I learned this morning. <laughs> you know, but actually, they, they scrape somebody's car. You know what I'm saying? It could be, it could be. No, no, we've got to be those. That there's potential in people. God says he sees your potential. You're not an inconvenience. Some of us, if we're really honest, we've been told all our life we're an inconvenience. Maybe your parents didn't want you. I've always been an inconvenience. I never quite got it right. That's not how God feels about you. God bless you now. He says, I love you. I think you've got such potential. I want to wrap my arms around you and use you. Last week, we were talking about the story. For those that weren't here, there's a great chapter in the book there. So could you tell your story in two words? So in our small group, that's what we did. We wrote it out. Literally. It was meant to be 100 words. And uh, that was to tell our story in these two main points. I thought I'd read you mine this morning. If I had to say there was two words about my life, it would be this. Striving and acceptance. I grew up in a loving family full of discipline where I felt I was always encouraged to try harder. Life seemed to evolve around striving to obey rules in an effort to please others and God. I was nine years old when the words of the old hymn, Just as I am, I come to thee, helped me to see I could approach God through Jesus Christ just as I am. I realized Jesus was perfect and died in my place. When God said he loved Jesus, he actually says he loves me. I no longer try to achieve his love, but now I'm as accepted by God as I could ever be. What about you? See, God said, oh, there's some potential in this guy. I believe that God would want a story over each one of us. I'm sure other people in their groups this week wrote out their hundred words. And we could ask you to share them later. The Bible is full of God seeing potential in people and calling it out. And one such person is in, in Luke 5. And in Luke 5, there's this guy, Levi Matthews, a tax collector. And Jesus basically comes along to him and says, come on, follow me. I mean, I don't know about you. If you're a tax collector in those days, I mean, these guys, they, they weren't popular. They were hated. They were working for the enemy. They were working for the Romans. They were taking money off the Jews, giving it to the Romans. Yeah, they were meant to be Jews. Jews couldn't stand them. Romans weren't that interested in them. That's what the tax collectors were like. Jesus comes along and says, I see potential in you. Follow me. The thing is, as a tax collector, he was rich, very rich. So when he decided to follow Jesus, he left everything. Some said he even left an open cash register. I don't know about that. I can imagine most tax collectors would have tidied it all away and come back for it later. But for, for Matthew to walk after Jesus meant walking away from his business. It meant walking away from his identity. It meant walking away from his comfortable routine. It meant walking away from his financial security. And what it meant is I'm going to prize Jesus more than anything else. That's what it means to be a Christian. Walking away from the things that we've so often held dear and close. And then we become like Jesus, which means we prioritize people. So what's the exhortation this morning? The exhortation is this. Start small, but...
but start. The danger to me of anything like a, a series like this is that we do four books, four weeks. We've got the book. We've put it on the shelf. We've read half of it. I mean, if, 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 let's, let's be honest. If you're really truthful, little tip, read it in the bath. Because the steam affects every page. And then if somebody pops around, it looks like you've read the whole lot. You know what I'm saying? You suddenly think that that's the way, isn't it? We've, we've read the book. Is it going to make any difference? Now, actually, we've got to be those that start small, but start. You see, this guy, Matthew, when he encounters Jesus, he, he, he can't sing great songs. We don't think he was a great prior. And as a tax collector, he wasn't a, probably a, an excellent giver to start with. But actually, there is something that he could do. He could throw a party. And actually, that's what he was like. So what he decided to do was he decided not to get so caught up in himself and become this Christian holy huddle. What he decided to do instead was to say, I'm going to get all my friends together and Jesus and some of these new folk, and we're just going to have a party. And it tells us about that. He grabs them together. He gets out of his circle of comfort, and he invites these people to come and to meet with Jesus in his house. You see, he'd understood something of this grander vision. People matter. I've um, given out a few of my personal possessions to people in the church. So if you could just stand up now, that would be really helpful. You see... I'd like to try and make this something visual. I, I felt slightly nervous with this one. My son has my wallet. That, that is faith, isn't it? Just hold it for a minute. The reality is if you've got teenagers, you've got kids, there's one word you could describe over money. Temporary. It comes, it goes. You know what I'm saying? You feel you've got it and then it's gone. You can sit down, son. I know here that we've got food. The reality is, I don't know about you, I don't like clothes shopping. I love food shopping. I love coming home to having the cupboards full. The difficulty is this. Within about, I was going to say two days, two hours, the food's gone. If I had to say anything about food, I would say it's temporary. Comes, it goes. What have we got over here, my friend? Yep, my shorts. I don't know about you, the fact is... They were great in the summer, but nobody's wearing them today, are they? Clothes come, clothes go. Sometimes they wear out, and if we're really honest, sometimes fashion just changes. And what we end up thinking is, hey, look, these clothes are great, but <clears throat> I don't know. I think they must have shrunk in the wash or something because they don't fit anymore. Clothes can be considered temporary, can't they? I've got here... Steve has got a football. To me, this symbolizes sport. We so often think, I don't know about you, I was at the fireworks last night, but I was watching my phone because I love seeing the fact that Arsenal won 2-0. Got it in there. But it's temporary. Who knows if, where they'd be at the end of the season. I've got a keyboard here. So often, if we're really honest, we think about this, we think about jobs. We can, we can put in hours and hours and hours. We sacrifice our kids. We sacrifice our marriage. And then we get made redundant. Because jobs can be temporary. Jobs can come and jobs can go. I've got over here a bike lock. Some of you will know. I was trying to think about transport. I was trying to think about getting around. Maybe a car. car's not a good example this morning. We've had enough of those already. My bike got nicked last month. Yeah, the bike locked it up. It's temporary. It's gone. I said to the police, do you think I'll ever get it back? 
They said it was properly sold for scrap metal. I said it was a really nice specialised. It's temporary. It's gone. Beer. I don't think I put this one out. I think Tessa has just got that on there. <laughs> I wouldn't have brought that to church. <laughs> the fact is, people try and numb the pain of life by drink. Some would say, you know, we, we've, we have this better life, but actually we're numbing it by medication, by counselling, by alcohol. And actually people just binge and then it's gone. We can, we can think it's all about this, but it's not. Your hair. Let's be honest, if you're a lady, you dye it. If you're a guy, you comb it across. It changes colour. It disappears. But it's really symbolic of our health. For so many of us, if we're really honest, we can think, oh, we're invincible until we go to a doctor and they suddenly say the test results are not good. We think, oh, we're going to last forever. We try and pretend that. Sorry, that is temporary. Edward, why don't you stand? Because I think if Jesus was going round, he'd have stuck stickers like that on everyone there. But he'd have changed the colour for Edward. Because that's a person. And what Jesus' mission was, people matter. Because actually everything else I've talked about here, you could say, well, it's for this life. But I believe that God has made us for eternity. And so actually, the whole thing of this walking across the room is, will we choose these objects which are temporary, or will we give ourselves to people that actually you think this could affect their eternal destiny? We honestly believe that we could know God forever in heaven if you're a Christian. So I guess to me, the challenge is, will we live life? What kind of vision will we have? As a church, do we say, even as a church, uh, if we're really honest, we just want it to be calm. We just want it to be flat. We just want to read the paper spiritually. Or as a church, would we say, now come on, Pete, what we really want to do is we want to dive into God. We want to see something of the adventure and the color. We don't want to feel like, oh, you've just, we just read through a book. We want to think, this is what I'm going to live for. How can I make this really, really practical? Well, if you think about Matthew, the answer to this is throw a party. And so therefore, if I had some practical application to anyone here today, okay, Pete, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, I'm on board, I want to live like this, I would say this, throw a party. Just keep it simple. That's what Matthew did. You haven't got to try and be religious, you haven't got to try and pretend. Do something that makes sense. I personally, and you, I was going to bring a word this morning, I thought, oh, they'll all yawn, I love Christmas. I have got how many sleeps it is to Christmas on my phone already. You know, I'm, I'm excited about that. So what am I doing? My party? I've already decided mine. We're having the neighbours round for mild wine and mince pies. I've done it for the last two years. In fact, we were at a, bar, we were at a firework event last Saturday with my next-door neighbours. Great time, you know, you've got a lovely garden, all these fireworks, put all the food out. And as we're going, I said, oh, thanks, we had such a great time. And they said, yeah, and we can't wait to your mild wine and mince pies. I thought, they're inviting themselves to my party. I thought, great. I said, yeah, we're going to be doing it. We'll have you all around. Now, I love Christmas. What about you? What kind of party do you do? Is it a new home? 
Is it something you think, oh, I've got a new job, I'm just going to celebrate? Is it something, how do you think I could gather to some folk together? More guests than church folk, you know what I'm saying? It's not meant to be an in-house party. It's meant to be how do we invite people and say, this is what we're trying to do. I think the beautiful challenge of this whole series that we've been looking at is we could get caught up in this excitement. This could be the adventure that we're called to be in. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you so much. You died on a cross for us. We want to thank you for the greatest gift that there possibly is. It's the fact we can know peace with God because of what you have done for us. Oh, we thank you we're not an inconvenience to you. We thank you that you love us. I pray you'd help us now as individuals and as a church to be those that live with this greater sense of a dream for you. I pray that we have this great vision for you. I'd just like to pause for a moment. I know I put post-it notes on there, but some of you, if you're really honest, you think, actually, Pete, I have lived for my health. I have lived for my job. If I'm honest, I've lived for a drink, a party at the weekend. I've lived for fashion. If I'm honest, I've lived to eat. I think Jesus would be here this morning and just say, what do you guys want? Six inches or six footers? Do you want to settle for the small things in life? Or do you want to dream for the bigger? The deeper? I can't pray on your behalf. We're just going to pause. And you can just pray to God yourself. Jesus, we sometimes find it easy to pray these things in church. It's like we're just taking a time out of life. I pray it'd help us to live this. Help us to live it this week. Help us to make changes. Do we get caught up in our money or do we get caught up in people? Oh, we do want to be a church that really cares for people. We do want the people of Ealing to be uh, better off because we're here. We do want them to hear the great news of Jesus because we're here. We don't just want to give out food on food bank. We want to give out spiritual food that says, actually, you could know God personally. 
You could know peace where you feel guilt. You could know hope where you feel abandoned. You could know life where it just feels like death. Help us to be those that live for that grander vision, I pray. Let our light shine, we pray in Jesus' name.